Hello and welcome to the Flight of the Champions podcast. This is the show where listeners come to learn all about the art of one loft racing. My name is Jeff Armand and I am your host. Thank you for tuning in to episode 7 of Flight of the Champions. My name is Jeff Armand and today we are going to discuss the initial training and in homing instinct development at uh, Victoria Falls. After we've broken the pigeons in and we've had them out for a while, they uh, go out as separate groups from under the net. We have a retractable net and can, can let out six different groups of pigeons. After the initial stage of letting the birds out and breaking them in, where we allow the birds out, be called in to feed in the evening, they will be mixed with other pigeons that have settled previously. We then start moving the training up a little bit and uh, we have got six different groups of pigeons that we can let out individually because we have a net that uh, is retractable. We can close it in a matter of a few minutes and open it in different sections. So we allow the birds out in different groups and we, we then start to treat them individually and uh, after a period of time the birds will then join in we get a bigger group the groups will start going together but what we do is we don't put the birds on the road until this time as they start to range they will not range in the afternoon because of the heat and because they know it's time to feed so after about week six depends on how they progress we will change the feeding regime from an afternoon feed to a morning feed and we will then feed them only once a day at a given time. The birds go out fairly early, allow them to go out just after sunup and we feed them around about 8 o'clock which is probably two and a half hours later and then they knew, know that they need to come in when they're called. They would have learned how to come in at that point and we call them in to feed at that time. Any birds that don't come in will actually have to wait for the next day. Uh, they soon learn to, to come in when they're called. The uh, birds will be released, as I say, in their groups, but they will go out with others, tracker birds, for instance, that uh, have settled earlier, and we wait for them to start to range. When you see the birds are starting to range, then it's time after about a week of ranging, provided they can do an hour, hour and a half exercise, they'll be ready to go on the road. We have got a smaller trailer with a, a small vehicle that can take groups out in different direction and we take them in all directions possible. Short tosses, 5 kilometers, 10 kilometers in all different directions to try and orientate them. Initially, the birds are released in single baskets to try and get them to work it out, find their own way back. It also minimizes any catastrophic event where the whole truck goes off in the wrong direction and flies for a couple of hours before realizing they're actually going the wrong way. So with the correct grounding, the birds should uh, should actually be far more set for the races coming up. And all our training up to about 50 kilometers is all single baskets or single rows of baskets releases at a time. We don't uh, release them in big groups. And there's two reasons for that. One is because the birds need to work it out for themselves. And we're also in a, a, a national parks game area and there's very few open spaces where you can release large numbers of pigeons. It's difficult to find a release point that we can, uh, as I say, release, say, five or 8,000 birds, whatever it might be. 
So we do that until we start to put live tosses on our website. And when that, that happens, those are all specific identified places like uh, football fields or open areas where there's enough space, not the trees are not too close, and of course also away from any wires that or overhead wires that might be there. When we start to train, uh, it's every day of the week. We uh, up early in the morning, always toss in the morning, not in the evening. And uh, we start any time from 4 a.m. And then to start off with, it takes a lot longer to bask at the pigeons. But uh, as the birds get more and more used to it, they, they're very easy to basket. They actually follow the system and go into the baskets without too much problem. And of course... Also, the numbers are much higher initially, so it does take longer. But the idea is to bask them early hours of the morning and leave and drive to Liberation Point to release them, you know, when soon after sunrise. We don't want to release them in the heat. And uh, some people have said, why don't you get them used to the heat? Well, they'll get used to the heat soon enough because it gets hot even at night. We have to sleep with air conditioners on, so it's quite hot. So that's how we do it. That's the initial training. And then once we start on the road after the everyday period, it's uh, six days a week and Sunday off. And then once we start to toss further and we go to live tosses, we go every second day. So we should have two tosses a week and one on the weekend. So three, really three tosses a week, two during the week and one at the weekend and the reason for that is it also takes quite a lot of time to do the inventories and the making sure that all the birds are properly accounted for. Um, we we make sure that our basketing list is 100% correct. We do uh, an audit on each one, we check our previous tosses to make sure those birds are in the basket and that there's no birds missing that may have ended up in a sick bay or for whatever other reason. So the audit is done on each basketing list to ensure that it's correct. There are features on the clocking system where one can just push a button and say basket all. And you do see this in some of the races, they basket all. So if you start with 8,000 pigeons, you always see 8,000 on the list, uh, which is a, one way of doing it, but it's not really that accurate because you may have really lost half of them. So we like to put in what we've got. And also, it's, it's a, from a management tool point of view, it's also good for us to be able to monitor and uh, you make sure that you know, all the birds are correct. So as the time goes, it becomes more and more intense for the pigeons. Uh, we try, you know, there's no ways we can actually rest the, the pigeons. They've got to go. And if a bird is obviously late, well, is late, and uh, is really down and unable to participate. We have to put it in the sick bay and we, we put it under rest. We start to build the birds up again uh, and try and get them to recover, but that's uh, it's not easy. You find some pigeons start to fall behind. They really can't keep going, uh, you know, and it's unfortunately one of the factors. You know, some of the stronger birds will just keep flying. And uh, quite often I'm asked the question, what? What are the most suitable birds to to fly at Victoria Falls? That's a, a very good question. What we've seen is that a lot of the really good performing pigeons have been bred off previous good performers at Victoria Falls. So it's uh, the whole story of horses for courses. You know, it's no point in in bringing a bird that's done exceptionally well in a certain environment somewhere and expected to fly well at Victoria Falls. And what we've seen is people that have got 
really good birds that are flying in Europe, for instance, and they cross them with pigeons that have done well at our loft, and they, they continue to do well here. Sometimes, of course, fly well, but they, you've got to find birds that are doing it consistently right at the, at the moment, and I think this podcast will probably be aired after the our sale in at Pippa sale is finished, but you'll find that a lot of pigeons that come up for sale rather not buy them because they don't have the pedigree that suits them. As far as I'm concerned, the pedigree that's most important is the performance of the pigeon. You know, if you want to do well, you must take pigeons that do well. Even in an environment like this where you've got over 4,000 kilometers of racing, it's 4,200 kilometers this year, in, in very dry, arid, hostile conditions, uh, really strong crosswinds, sometimes headwinds, but pigeons have got to work it out. And uh, those birds, if they survive the course, they've got to be good pigeons, and they're suitable for the racing, you know, and the there are, of course, some very, very good pigeons that don't make the grade, but they might be un- unlucky. They could have been caught by a hawk or hit a wire or, or they just had an off day and they never came back. But that uh, that can happen. But one thing is for sure, in, in my mind, is birds that are there at the end are worth something and worth breeding from. And they would should actually improve most people's lofts. If you want to fly in... In a race in Zimbabwe, and even some of the tough races in South Africa, you need birds from this environment to to fly. So that's really the training in a a nutshell. It's hope that it's uh, of value to people that are listening. Please join us for episode 8 of Flight of the Champions, where I will be discussing the basic health and care of the pigeons at Victoria Falls. Please visit our website at www.victoriafallswcpr.com to learn more about how to enter the Victoria Falls World Challenge Pigeon Race and remember to follow our social channels to stay up to date on this exciting world-class event. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Victoria Falls WCPR. Thank you for listening and bye for now.